Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Well, there comes a time when, um, as a pastor, a preacher, you have to um, share some difficult information uh, with uh, the church, and uh, I want to do that this morning by way of my message, and so uh, I told you uh, last week at the end of my message on Ananias and Sapphira that I was going to preach a very difficult subject, and that subject matter I'm going to preach today is on church discipline, and uh, we're going to talk more about that as we go through, and I want you to know that uh, I don't relish preaching sermons like these. Um, I uh, would rather avoid them. I would rather not talk about them, and so uh, with fear and trembling, um, I'm going to stand before you today with my Bible open. And with uh, love in my heart, and hopefully, uh, having studied, I have this confidence in the Spirit as we talk about a very difficult issue today. And, um, you know, I I don't want to come across arrogant or angry or legalistic this morning. Uh, We certainly are going to use the Bible to base everything we say because we can't afford to rest on the words of men. we got to rest on the words of God. Uh, That's crucial and important, and certainly all that we do should be motivated by love, right? We should have love, and you know, uh, the Hebrew writer is so clear and so true when he says in Hebrews 13 that the pastor looks out for the souls of his flock, and that's so true. I I only preach tough messages because I know that uh, it'd be nice to listen to sweet all the time, but sweets give us cavities and make us hyper, and they don't really set us on the right course, and so sometimes we need a difficult word, and so I pray that today's word, although difficult, will be uh, received. Um, And so um, I don't know how many sermons uh, you've ever heard on church discipline. Uh, If you're probably uh, like me, you've heard maybe uh, one or two. You've probably not heard many sermons on church discipline. Uh, churches uh, today and our day don't talk about church discipline very much. And uh, I think the reason for that is, first of all, is that we have a misunderstanding of Matthew 7. When Jesus said, don't judge lest you be judged, we have this understanding that's a misconception that Jesus for some reason is telling us that we never can make a judgment call or that we can never look at another believer's life and make a, a simple analysis that What they're doing is sin, and uh, we're going to define those terms as we go through today, Uh, but but certainly uh, there's a misunderstanding there. Jesus is not talking about the fact that there is times where church discipline needs to be enacted. Uh, There are times when we as brothers and sisters ought to be able to confront one another with sin in our life, and we'll talk about that as we go through. Certainly the other reason why I think a lot of churches do not talk about church discipline is the fear of being misunderstood as legalistic. We think that, well, only legalistic churches do that kind of thing. Uh, That's not true. Biblical churches do church discipline. And we'll talk about what that means. The other thing is we're fearful of repercussions. You know, we, you know, especially as a pastor, a pastor is just one man. And sometimes because he's one man, he stands alone. And so a lot of pastors refuse. I told them Wednesday night I was going to preach on this subject, pray for me, because as a pastor, when you stand alone, if you end up being uh, where you have to enact church discipline, that makes families unhappy. That makes people unhappy. Uh, but if you do that out of love and you do that biblically and you do that with the right frame of mind and right reference of the Scriptures, then it should be received. Um, not always the case. Uh, but not only that, but I think there's also a lack of teaching on the subject. I don't think uh, in my whole 25 years of being a pastor, I've never preached one sermon on church discipline. Not one. I've made references to it, but I've never preached one. So guess what? You're getting one today. Uh, I think, too, that there's sometimes an unwillingness 
just for the church to handle the sin of the church. I think there's sometimes just an unwillingness to do that. Uh, and the problem with that is, is that it breeds more sinfulness. And so we'll, we'll talk about these issues as we go through and the reason why we do uh, church discipline. Now let me just say some things up front. First of all, you don't enter into church discipline lightly. It's not something that you have some kind of constitutional uh, bylaws that say, okay, this is we're going to do church discipline, bam, bam, bam. I think every situation, every time you enter into church discipline, it ought to be handled with integrity, with a good ethic. It ought to be handled in love. It ought to be handled rightly. And you ought to move slowly. Because the outcome of re- the outcome should always be one thing, restoration. If you don't hear anything else I've said today, that's the one thing you need to hear, that the outcome is restoration. So you can write that word big across your notes. That's what church discipline is all about. And so I'll say one last word, and then we're going to launch into the text for today, and that is this. Having preached today's message, our church is now accountable to practice and to obey by Jesus' words on church discipline. Now, I don't know about you, but that scares the heebie-jeebies out of me. Because I'd rather avoid that like the plague. I ain't going to lie to you. Because it's never pleasant, never enjoyable, never easy. But it's biblical. So having said that, having laid some foundation... Let's look at the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 18 and see what Jesus has to say on the subject. And then we'll try to do an exhaustive study as best we can in the time we have to understand church discipline. So listen to the words of Jesus as recorded in Matthew's Gospel 18, verse 15. Moreover, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell his fault between you and And him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Wow, those are some strong words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you think about church discipline, I want to give you four principles this morning that we're sort of going to lay as an outline so that we can understand the text of what Jesus is saying. And if you want to write in the margin of your Bible, it would be very, very well to do so, is to write in the margin of your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, because beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul enacts church discipline on a man in the Corinthian church that the Corinthian church would not deal with. And so Paul dealt with that particular person in in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And so I will make a reference to that towards the end of the sermon, uh, a little bit in the beginning here, but really I'm going to focus on why he did what he did in the end of the sermon. So you just hang in there because we have to understand those two texts together. So as we begin to think, first of all, I want you to see our first major point is this, or principle is this. The offender. Who is the offender in the text? Well, the offender, notice what Jesus says in verse 15, is clearly spelled out. If you have a brother, and by the way, that could be sister as well. We're, we're a family, and uh, those are masculine pronouns, but we could use the feminine as well. And we can say that if you have a sister who sins against you. So this is a person who is in sin. They're in rebellion. They're, they're a person, according to this word that Jesus uses, and by the way, this is the most common word throughout the New Testament referred to sin, means to miss the mark. But notice that this particular sin, by the context of what Jesus is saying, could be a sin by which this person is unrepented of and unwilling to forsake. So there's a difference, right? There is a sin that sometimes you commit that The Spirit of God quickens your heart and you're quickly to repent and you ask for forgiveness and it's dealt with. But then there are times when sin comes in and an individual will harbor that sin. They'll be unrepentant in that sin. They're not willing to forsake that sin. 
That's a different scenario. So when we begin to talk about the, the offender, first of all, we're talking about a brother who sins. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you, but that's everybody in this room. I don't know a single person in this room who doesn't sin. See, this is this in lies the problem with church discipline is because then we have to decide, okay, so are we going to discipline somebody because they went to a rated R movie? Or because they drank a beer? Or because they smoked a cigarette? Or they did something else that we morally as a church may, may not agree with? How do we begin to decide who, what, when, where, how? You know, how do you begin to decide all that? And I think that just muddies the water. Because here's the question we ought to be asking. Why church discipline to begin with? That's the question we ought to be asking. We ought not be asking what sins are we going to, to dive into? Because if we go into that mentality, then listen, the answer to the question, do we all deserve church discipline? The answer would be yes. <laughs> Me, you, everybody who has sinned in some fashion, some sort of way would be deserving of church discipline if we decided that we're just going to throw everybody in together. Right? You with me? Uh, I don't know about you, we would never solve anything at that point. All right? So Jesus here is in the context, talking about this brother in church discipline. As you read the context, the church discipline really doesn't take place until the end. Church discipline is at the end of the conversation, right? Jesus said you go to that person who's in sin, right? How do you do that? First of all, the, the guiding principle is to go to that person, and we'll talk about that process in a minute, but he says, go to this offender that has offended you. If you have a brother, what do you say? If you have a brother who sins against you. Now, in reality, you can broaden the context, not just to you as an individual, but we can broaden the context to mean any Christian, because here's the reality. We're a family. And what you do affects me, and what I do affects you. Do you believe that? I believe that. I believe what I do makes a positive or a negative reflection on the body of Christ by which God has placed me in. And so we can broaden the context and say, if a brother or sister sins, now he's, if, if I know about it, I can confront that brother. If you know about it, you can confront that brother. You can go to that person and say, hey, this is sin. And you need to deal with that. Now, we're going to talk about some guidelines in a minute. So don't, don't just run rampant in your mind and start throwing out the, the truth because we're going to deal with that. But I wanted to simply ask you this question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've been confronted by your sin, by a brother or a sister in the Lord? Has it ever happened to you? I, I can tell you it's happened to me. I don't know how we can be a family in the church, have Christian friends in the church, have Christian friends outside of our church, and not ever at some time in some period in our relationships been confronted with something in our life that is sin. Because I think it happens naturally when we have discipleship relationships. When we have relationships by which we are together as a fellow body of believers, or when we're one-on-one with another believer, another brother or sister in the Lord, that there aren't something that comes up that may hit my spirit. I'll never forget, and I've told you the story, but it's worth repeating in the context so you understand where I'm coming from. But I had an elderly deacon in my Second church that I ever pastored. I told you the story before. One day we were working in the sound booth and we were putting a table in and building, we're actually building some shelves. He was an excellent carpenter like Hoyt is and, and Mr. Lee and we were building some stuff in there. And, and while we were working, I don't even know how it came up. I don't, even know, I don't even know what brought the conversation about. He said to me, he said, uh, he said, Mike, he called me Mike. He was much older, so I, I allowed him to do that. But he said, Mike, he said, can I talk to you about something? And I said, sure. And he goes, I think that you got a pride issue. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. He stood about 6'3", about 195 pounds, and I could have picked him up, and I would have loved to have thrown him out of the balcony of the church. That's where we were. I would have loved to have done that because I'll tell you what, he and I were tight. We were close, and uh, we, we, we met three or four times a week, and, and he poured his life into my life, and I'm so blessed that he would do that, a very godly deacon. And uh, I'm just going to be honest with you. I was done with him for the day. And I went to my office and I thought, you know, how dare he take advantage of our relationship? How dare he do that to me? And it was like the Spirit of God slapped me in the back of the head like Gibbs does to Tony on NCIS, you know, and said, he's right. 
And so I had to uh, acknowledge I had sin in my life. I had to deal with it. Has that never happened? Have you ever been in a relationship like that? If you haven't, you're missing a blessing. I'm just going to tell you, you're missing a blessing. I learned a lot from Clarence Smith. He taught me more than any seminary professor or any Bible college professor ever taught me about relationships, about walking with God with integrity and love and compassion, to do what's right when it's hard to do what's right. He taught me a lot of things. And one of the things he taught me was church discipline starts with a private conversation. He didn't go, listen, he didn't go to prayer meeting and say, hey, let's uh, pray for Brother Mike. He's having a hard time with his pride. You know, we do that. We go to prayer meeting or we have prayer times together. You need to pray for someone. So I saw them out doing something wrong. Listen, that's wrong. That's sinful. That is not the way we treat people. And so here, it's a brother who's offender is a person who is in sin. He is in open sin. He is in sin that that you at least know about as an individual and you have the right to be able to go and to speak with that individual. And you need to make sure, though, that you make a distinction when you do that between how you approach somebody and how you don't approach somebody. And I want to tell you, and I wrote down in my notes that I would not forget to say this, and I'm going to repeat this probably... Oh, six or seven times throughout the sermon are these three different principles by which you approach the subject of church discipline or confronting a brother in sin. And that's these three things. Write them down because you're going to hear them again. First of all, love should always be the motivation. You should love somebody else and be motivated out of love to talk to them. The second thing you need to write down is this. Restoration should always be the goal. You should never go to talk to a brother without having restoration as the goal. Thirdly, you should always be practicing personal purity before you go. That is, you ought to make sure that personal purity is a habit of yours, that that you are walking with Jesus daily, that you are offering your heart for examination to the Lord, that you're looking and examining your own heart. Now, that doesn't mean that because we all sin that we never can talk to each other. That's not the point. The point is, I never want to come across as arrogant, unkind, unloving. I don't want to come across legalistic and rude. And I will do that if I have sin in my own life that I'm not dealing with. So I want to make sure that I watch and guard my own life before I go and try to guard somebody else's. You with me? If you're with me, say amen. The offender, by the way, is a brother. And Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 5.12, talking about church discipline, he says... For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? He says, do you not judge those who are inside? Let me just tell you that the church has spent far too much time in this past 20 to 30 years judging the world and to no avail. We've lost the argument. What the church ought to be doing is dealing with herself. So we ought to quit policing the world and start policing ourselves. Amen? That is, we ought not say that all the sexual sins out in the world are wrong, but we allow them to run rampant in the church. Does that make sense? That, that you know, people, people want to judge those in the business world who are playing hardball and who step on everybody to get promotions, but then we got people in the church that step on people in the church and play hardball in the church to get where they want to get to. See, that, that doesn't make any sense. Paul says we don't need to worry about them out there. When it comes to discipline, let's start here. Let's deal with the brother who's sinning. Make that distinction. And the the distinction as I go ought to be, first of all, one-on-one, individually. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 31, if we then would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. If somebody has to come and talk to you about sin, it's because you're not keeping your own life in check. And when we don't keep our own life in check, guess what's going to happen? And by the way, can I just say, just, let's just write it down. Let's just say it. Let's just put it out there that that's where it really begins, isn't it? Where it really begins is with myself. I discipline myself. Paul, Paul said these words, right? He disciplined himself unto godliness, talking to Timothy. He, he said in, this, in, in Corinthians, in the Corinthian church, that he beats his body. Now, a, he doesn't mean physically beating himself, but what he's saying is there, you got to strive to be holy. 
Amen? You've got to strive to be Christ-like. It doesn't happen automatically. Listen, if I get up in the morning, listen, it's not like I just go into the closet and put on Christ's suit and then all of a sudden I'm a, I'm a Christ follower and I'm doing great. No, everybody had to get on my knees and beg God, say, God, today, help me not to be stupid. Help me to be holy. Help me to be mindful, Holy Spirit, that I, that I represent you wherever I go. Listen, I don't always get it right. I went to go pick up a rental car yesterday and I was in there and the lady told me how much it would cost. And I, and I said, well, I'm not paying that. Let me tell you why I'm not going to pay that. Online it says I have to pay this much. And I said, I don't want to pay that. Well, too bad. You got to pay it. So I paid it. (laughs) I didn't have an option. I couldn't go anywhere else. And as I drove away, I had to to go to Walmart. And as I drove away, a little peeved, because I had to pay more than I was told I was going to have to pay. I got in the Walmart parking lot. The Spirit of God said, you fool. What kind of Christ-like example were you? So I got on the phone, and I called a little girl up, and I said, hey, this is Mr. Foreman. I just left in that red car. She goes, yes, sir, how can I help you? <laughs> I can tell she's like, oh, no. It's that jerk again. And I just said, I need you to forgive me. And I was wrong. I acted wrong. I treated you wrong. She said, oh, no, sir, it's it's okay. It's okay. No, it's not okay. I need you to forgive me. Let me tell you something. We're all in need, my friend. We're all in need. And if God doesn't take you to the woodshed, sometimes we need each other to do that. Help each other set the the right course. Amen? Sometimes we need a little friendly reminder. Hey, that wasn't Jesus in your life. All right? I know it's a long time. The offender... What about the process? The process is pretty quickly, pretty easy to understand. Notice what Jesus said, beginning verse 15. He said, moreover, if a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Listen again, it's private conversation. Don't go to everybody else. Don't go to the preacher. Listen, if you see somebody who's in sin, I don't care what kind of sin it is. It is, and we're going to talk about some public sins in a minute. I don't care what kind of sin it is. If you know this person's in sin, go to that person and deal with it. Don't call me. Don't call the preacher. I just want to let you know. I saw so-and-so coming out of the sportsman this week. Well, good. Go talk to them. Right? Go have a conversation with them. Maybe their life fell apart and they gave to a moment of weakness and they need somebody to love them and encourage them and build them up. Not criticize them and then break them down. Amen? But if they are in sin, if this is a habit and an unrepented sin in their life, then go to them and love on them and encourage them to stop sinning before the Lord. And there's no way they can have a, a good relationship with Jesus on a daily basis in sin. Their prayer life is hindered. Their fellowship with God is hindered. Their fellowship with you is going to be hindered. Their fellowship in the body of Christ is going to be hindered because of the sin. So have a private conversation. Go to the individual. Don't bring it to the church. Boy, we need more of that, don't we? More of that. (laughs) One crucial element, though, as we think about this private conversation, is what I've already told you. Here it is. Ready again? I told you you're going to get it nine times. Love should be your motivation. Restoration should be your goal. And personal purity should be where you're standing. If that's not how you're going to approach it, then keep your mouth shut and don't tell anybody, don't go anywhere, stay home. Amen? And deal with your own sin problem because you got a pride issue. So refrain immediately. Don't go to the person. And don't go to the preacher and say, well, I don't have the right attitude, preacher, so I need you to have the right attitude and go deal with it. <laughs> not going to happen. I'm just going to tell you, it ain't going to happen. It's not my job. The Holy Spirit didn't point it out to me. He didn't show me. He didn't let me catch him coming out of the sportsman. He let you. Amen? Deal with it. Deal with it. In love, restoration, and purity in your own life. If that doesn't work, Jesus says, you go to this brother. Oh, first of all, let's talk about if it does work. Notice what Jesus said. If, if he hears you, if he listens and he repents of the sin, you've gained your brother. That word gain is a financial term, 
Meaning that, that you have gained back something that you have lost of value. Think about that. Do we see each other as valuable? We should. Because that's what Jesus is saying here. The word that he's using is that you see a brother or sister who's out in sin and out of the fellowship and not walking with God as a valuable asset to the life of the church. And so you go to that person in that love with restoration, in purity, in order that you may gain them back into the fellowship. That you could throw your arms around them like the father did with with the wandering son and say, welcome home, my son. That's the goal. And so if they repent, you've won your brother. And let me tell you something, you're never going to get a brother to repent if you've already been gossiping about him. If everybody in the world has been hearing you talk about him, He's not going to repent. Why? Because first of all, you've hardened his heart even further because you're gossiping about him. And by the way, I'll be honest with you, I'd be the same way, amen, wouldn't you? I'll be doggone, let me tell you something. I ain't going to do it. I ain't changing. They can talk about me at that church all day long they want to. I'm not doing it. I'm sorry. Not going to do it. They got a bad attitude anyway, see? And that just makes it go wrong, doesn't it? What if he doesn't listen? Jesus gives the next step, just very simply, next verse. But if he will not hear, take with you how many? The deacon body? No. The pastor? No. Could be, but he says, take with you two or more. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. What is Jesus saying? You have an expanded conversation, right? So you have a private conversation and an expanded conversation using what I believe is what Jesus is picking up off Deuteronomy 19, where God established that in order to establish something legally, that there were these two or three witnesses. Why is that? Because here's the reality. We may think somebody's in sin and we may go to that person and confront them and they may deny all day long. But then when you take two or three witnesses, guess what? It's going to be an established fact. So it's not just my word against one individual's word, but now you got two or three together saying, yeah, this brother is in sin. We've called this brother in sin, you know, uh, and so you deal with that. And it makes sure that things are handled accurately, rightly, and with integrity. And so we need to make sure that's the way we handle when we go with two or three other people, all right? Are you sort of catching what Jesus is saying, though? Have you noticed the principle by which Jesus is making this? First of all, he's saying, use as few people as possible. All right? Not about incorporating everybody. It's about how many people can we not use and making it as small as it can be. All right? That's where he's saying. So you go to your brother. He says, I'm not going to repent. You go back to your brother with those individuals that you have asked to go, perhaps a deacon, Perhaps the pastor or a staff member, I hope a staff member. Uh, but you, you pick somebody, and, and what if he doesn't listen then? Then you take it, Jesus said, verse 17, if he refuses to hear them, in other words, he's holding on to sin, he's grudgingly saying, I'm not going to repent, he's unrepentant, what do you do? He said, you take it and you give it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, now listen, listen to what he says to do. This is how churches get it wrong. What church will do is they'll come and say, all right, I went to him. Other people went to him. Now it's time for the church to enact. And what the church will do is some church will say, all right, we're going to dismiss him from the, from the membership role. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you get the individual to come to the church, to the congregation, and the congregation says, brother, we plead with you. Repent. Be right with God. That's what we ask. Now, is that going to happen most likely? Most likely, no. If a person's in that deep of sin, guess what? He's probably not going to want to come to church and, and confess his sin and his fault and be right with God. He's not going to want to do that. But that's what the Bible says to do, right? That's what Jesus said. Tell it to the church. But if he won't listen to the church, so if he won't listen to the church, then what do you do? Then let him be as a heathen in the tax collector. That is, he is just like an unbeliever. You treat him as an unbeliever. What does that mean? Do we let unbelievers... Have membership in the church? We don't. To join First Baptist Church of Level Plains, you have to be a baptized, believing believer in Jesus Christ, right? Listen, to be a member of the spiritual church, you have to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Unbelievers are not part of God's family. So how do you treat a person in church discipline? You treat them like they're lost. 
Now, there's different ways in which churches do this, and I don't know that I've come to any set way, so I'm not going to tell you about any of them. Because I do believe that's, that's an issue to be prayed over. I think we ought to treat individuals different. Now, that individual is different. But that, listen, that doesn't mean, listen, it doesn't mean because you got this last name, you get treated different than this last name. You with me? That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not saying because your family is the biggest family or you give the most money or whatever, that you treat that person different than you would somebody who's a nobody in the, in the church. I'm saying the standard needs to be consistent across the board, but I just think it's so quick to say, well, every situation, we're going to kick them out of the church. We're going to tell them, don't you come back here. I just don't know that, that we, we need to make some hard, fast rules in a sermon this morning on the first time I've ever preached on church discipline. I'm just not going to do that. I will tell you this, that if it gets to that stage by which the church is engaged and involved, that's when the pastors and the deacons will meet together and get on our face before God, and we will begin to seek God for the solution. And we will ask God to give us clarity on his word that we would do the right thing. That's what I can promise you as your pastor. And as long as I'm the pastor of First Baptist Church of Little Plains, that's what we'll handle. That's how we'll do it, is we will ask God, God, how should we do this? What should we do to make this right? Does that make sense? And the deacons are all saying, uh, great. Mm-hmm. Does this make sense? Are you understanding what I'm saying this morning? The process. The overarching principle, remember, keep it, in, keep it in mind, as few a people as possible, keeping love before us, keeping restoration before us, being pure in our own lives. So what's the purpose? I'm trying to hurry. I promise you. I told Tim I'd be long today. What's the purpose of church discipline? Let me give you four, four purposes. As I just said, restoration is the primary purpose. It is our goal by which Jesus said here that you may gain your brother. That the people who are valuable and that we love, we will gain back. That's what restoration's about. Gaining those who come back. And if we confront without that as our goal, we will lose every time. Because then we will come across legalistic, uncaring, and we don't want to do that. We see people as valuable. After all, we're a church who loves God and loves people. Even when our brothers and sisters sin, we love them and we pray for them and we encourage them. The second thing I want you to write down is this. It's a warning. Do you think that when Jesus purified the church with Ananias and Sapphira, that it wasn't a warning? It was a warning. Let me tell you, a church that does not practice church discipline is loosey-goosey with sin. That is, we'll allow a lot of things to happen, a lot of things to take place without ever confronting, whatever dealing with it. And you know what happens then? You know, it's the old adage, right? If my kids, if I gave them an inch, they take a mile. In a church that doesn't deal with, with issues in the church, listen, allows its members just to run rampant and live all kinds of crazy lifestyles and doesn't deal with it. Now, I know I'm making you nervous, but just hang in there. I'm going to be done in a minute. Listen, is a church in disobedience itself. And you're disobedient to what Jesus has said in Matthew 18. We're now accountable to that. And we'll talk about specifics in a minute, how we're going to deal with that. The, the third thing I want you to write down is this. Not only is it to restore, to warn, but it's also to protect. And this just goes on the heels of what I just said. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, talking about sin in the church, he says, your glorying is not good. See, the Corinthian church thought they were this super spiritual church. They had all the spiritual gifts. They thought they were somebody. And Paul says, do you not realize, guys, you're glorying in, in this and you are in sin? You as a church are not doing the right thing. He says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole? Do you not realize that a little sin running loose in the church leads to more sin running loose in the church, leads to bigger sins running in the church? Do you realize that? That's what happens. Fourth, write it down, to be a good witness. You're saying, oh, people hear about your church doing church discipline, they're not going to think you're a good witness. Well, let me tell you one thing. They'll know we take sin serious. And I'm going to tell you right now, they don't think we do. You heard it, you heard it hadn't you? David, you've heard it many times as a preacher. Well, preacher, I go to work with so-and-so. And let me just tell you, I just read a story yesterday about a guy who was so proud of his church, thought his church was doing great, it was growing, and they had this, uh, this lawyer that he was trying to win to Jesus, and it was this great relationship. And, and finally he said, 
you know, I want you to come to my church. And he said, well, preacher, I knew that was coming, but I can tell you that I can't come to your church. Let me tell you why. He said, there's a guy in your church who uh, is a lawyer in town. And let me tell you something. He's a, he's a liar. He's a crook. And uh, he takes advantage of people. And I can't go to church with those kinds of people. Let me tell you something. That's, that can be said about any church, I realize. And there's sometimes excuses. But the reality is, we give them an excuse sometimes. Amen? I mean, can, can you imagine now me trying to go back to Hertz on, on Thursday and take my car back and say, hey, uh, hey, uh, would you like to come to church? I'm the pastor. Uh, are you crazy? I would never go hear you preach. You're a jerk. And I tell you, even as I say that, it grieves my heart because it's true. And if she did say that, I'd have to say, well, you're right, I am a jerk. I'm, but I'm a redeemed jerk. Amen. I ask God to forgive me, and I ask you to forgive me. I did the thing that most customers won't do. I'm trying to live this life for Jesus. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying you'll be perfect if you go to church. I'm just trying to tell you, together, we accomplish a whole lot more as Jesus followers than we would ever by ourselves. Amen. Well, let me give it to you one more time. How do we do this? Love is our motivation. Restoration is our goal. Personal purity is our standing. That's the purpose. Lastly, let me talk about the authority because people ask all the time, by what authority do you have to judge me or to go into my life? What authority do you have? It's called Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, or 17. It's called the authority on the word of Jesus Christ, the Master, the Lord. I need no other authority. He told me to do it. You with me? He told me to do it. And if you need more approval authority... Then all you got to do is continue to read the New Testament, and you'll find at least five other occasions where church discipline was enacted uh, through the epistles of Paul. So it's biblical, folks. It's listen. It's biblical. And uh, we need to, as a church, realize that we're accountable to practice it. So let me conclude this way. I think it's healthy that um, I lay some guidelines down, because I know in your mind, in my mind, if I was sitting there, I would be asking the question, so um, Tim sees me driving my car and I throw up the Hawaiian, Hawaiian salute and so now Tim's going to come and he's going he's gonna to confront me and what we're going to do, we're going to start witch hunting everybody. So we're, we're witch hunting now, we're, we're looking at everybody's life and seeing what kind of sin they have and that sort of thing. Well, first of all, let me just say it's not a witch hunt, all right? I, I'll just be honest with you. Can I, can I just be frank, honest with you? I've been in Walmart, and I have seen you with Budweiser in your carts, wine bottles in your baskets. I've seen that. Have I confronted you? Have I slapped you down? No, I hadn't done that. First of all, I want to make sure I do things right. Amen? But, but we agree together to be a non-drinking body, but I'm, I'm not making a big issue because these are, these, are, these are waters to be treaded through with love and compassion but lightly. Amen? So, so my point is this. We're not out looking for sin in each other. And if that's what you're doing, you think this is a license to begin to look at your brother and sister and say, Oh, boy, I got him. I got him good. I got him good. You're wrong. My Bible says that love covers a multitude of sin. It doesn't mean it ignores sin, but it means that because I love somebody, I'm not quick to want to jump on them. Amen? That's what that means, by the way. If you need it, that's what it means. Love covers the multitude. It doesn't mean we hide sin. It means that because I love somebody, I'm not quick to jump on their back about it. And I want you to notice, too, that as we went through this procedure, that Jesus, when he says, go in private conversation, then take somebody else, Jesus didn't give a timetable, did he? Jesus didn't say, hey, you go to them the first time, and they say, no, I'm not going to repent. All right, I'm going to get my brother. We're going to go get him. And you go over and get brother and... You go back and you do it. Oh, he didn't listen. Pastor, pastor, we need to call a congregational meeting. That's not the way it's handled. Give time for the Holy Spirit to work. Because I'm going to be honest with you. Have you ever been confronted with something in your life and it took you three or four days to get over? I mean, have you ever? I mean, it wasn't like, you know, so, 
So sometimes in my life, you know, God confronts me like yesterday when I'm riding the Walmart. God slaps me on the back of the head. When an individual was God, it says, boom, that was pretty dumb. You didn't treat her very well. And I had to call and apologize. But listen, sometimes Marie and I get in a fight. You ever get in a fight as a married couple? You disagree? We have a disagreement? You know, we may make up quick, but I'm just going to be honest with you. It's going to be three or four days before I say, you know what? You were right. <laughs> By the way, can I just tell you guys? If you, want a, if you want a numeric number of rightness to put on my marriage, I told Marina the other day, I said, I am right 0.001% of the time. And uh, then the other day, uh, I said something. She said, oh, you're right on that. I said, oh, my average has increased 0.002% of the time. I'm right. So uh, anybody's married, you can really understand and appreciate that, right? You know, so what I'm trying to say is don't be quick. If you confront a brother, give time for the Spirit of God to move in his life or her life to bring about repentance. Now, if that happens, no repentance comes, then you go to the next step. But you ought to be doing this with your brother. So it's not necessarily a one-time confrontation. It could be two or three. But if there's a persistent unrepentantness in their life, that's when it goes further. See, church discipline is not about me going to a brother who's in sin and he, him saying, Oh, brother, I... Forgive me, I was wrong, I didn't realize that. I didn't, you know, I didn't even know that was sin in my life or whatever. Or yeah, I knew it was sin and I asked you to forgive me and that sort of thing. And listen, I'm going to just be honest with you. Can I just be honest with you? This is little sins and big sins. So if there's a big sin in their life, now listen, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean further action in the sense of restoration. Because restoration takes on many forms. Sometimes restoration may mean we're going to put you under watch care and we want to help. We want to come alongside you. Maybe, listen... Can you ever, you ever thought about somebody who's caught pornography-wise? What if a man comes to the church and says, you know what, I've been confronted about pornography in my life. It's sin. Would you please forgive me? You know what restoration ought to be for that guy? The church ought to come alongside him and help provide counseling. They ought to provide love. They ought to walk with him in accountability through that. So restoration is not, okay, he repented, he's done. No, restoration is, okay, brother, let's help you be accountable to that in your life. Let's help you along this journey with love, with compassion, Right? Help them along the journey. And then we'll know, listen, we'll really know if they're really repentant because let me tell you, everybody who's really repentant about their sin are willing to go through a lot of things to show they're right. It's when we're really not that we don't want to do that. So if a brother's really repentant about pornography in his life, he's not going to mind being accountable by having something put on his computer where he can't get pornography anymore. You know what I'm saying? He's going to be willing to submit to counseling, to get help, so he can deal with the images in his mind, in his heart, because listen, they do imprint upon your mind and your heart. And so you need some help. So does that make it clear? Do you understand what I'm saying? So let me finish. I said I was going to finish five minutes ago, and I don't want to be that kind of preacher. So if we're accountable discipline, let me just say, number one, here's some governing principle. Number one, pursue personal purity. Live holy before Jesus, friends. Don't ever have to worry about being confronted by sin by living a life of purity and holiness before God. Stay in the Word. Stay on your knees. Pray. It's when I get away from my devotional life. It's when I get away from praying as I ought. And I'm not saying it legalistic. I'm just saying as, an, as, a, as a man of God, as an individual Christian. Listen, when I get away from those things, it's when I slip and become the jerk that I was yesterday. Because I hadn't spent time with Jesus. He hadn't rubbed off on me yesterday morning. I was just in a hurry. I got busy and I did my own thing. And listen, he didn't rub off on me. You know who rubbed off on me? Mike rubbed off on me. Number two, write this down. Have the right approach. You're saying, oh, my word, here it is again. Well, till you get it, this is the approach. Love should be your motivation. Restoration should be your goal. And personal purity ought to be where you're standing. If those are not where you're at, sit down and be quiet. And don't talk about it with other people. And by the way, that's the other thing. Let me just say as a side note, I didn't say yet, and I want to say, and that is this. If you're not willing to confront, don't tell. All right? If you're not willing to deal with it, don't tell. Don't come to my office and say, hey, so-and-so, I'm going to go confront them because they got this sin in their life. I don't want to hear it. I'll just be honest with you. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to be accountable. Amen? Don't come tell me. If it gets to the place that you need me, yes, come to me. But don't come to me. That's gossip. No, I'm telling the preacher. No, you're gossiping. If the Spirit of God's revealed it to you and you've seen it, go deal with it. If you're not willing to deal with it, shut up. That's simple, right? 
Can we edit that out? Timing is everything. Timing, write down, timing is everything. Give time for the Spirit of God to work. I already said that. Give time. Jesus doesn't give us a timetable. Give it time. Allow restoration to take its place. That's the goal. Restoration. Give it time. If a person is unrepentant and they pursue unrepentance, then yes, we'll take the next step. But give it time for that. You're saying, how much time? I don't know. Pray about it. Give it to Jesus. And say, Lord, I've confronted this brother or sister and they're continuing to do what they're doing. God, what should I do? He may say, go back and talk to him another time. He may say, well, now it's time to get you some witnesses and go. But I promise you, if you'll pray and seek his face, he'll give you the answer. But let me just tell you this too. Don't confront somebody with something to let it lie. Don't wait five years down the road. <laughs> That's silly. Amen. This whole thing, listen, I always told Marina, I said, no, do me a favor. Don't do what my mom did. When I was raised, when I was raised my mom said, wait until your dad gets home. I'll tell you what, I was scared to death until he got home. But, so it kind of worked. And so, but I told Marina, don't do that to our kids. I think, you, you know, if you get caught doing something, discipline ought to happen now. Right? Discipline the kid while they know. Discipline them while it's happening. Well, it's the same thing with church. So, you ready for a disclaimer? <laughs> Let me help us out a little bit. Because I think we need a little guidance. We're not on a witch hunt. Remember we said that, right? So the disclaimer is two things. Number one, first of all, if you read the context of 1 Corinthians 5, you'll find that Paul doesn't follow any of the steps of Jesus. Let me tell you why he doesn't follow the steps of Jesus. It's because it's already reached that place beyond there. That is, that it's already reached the place where it should have been dealt with as the congregation. The church at Corinth refused to deal with the situation. Because they refused to deal with the situation, the brother remained unrepentant. He was in an adulterous affair with his stepmother. Think about that. Now, that's enough to give you the heebie-jeebies at night. So he was in an affair with his stepmother. And because of that, he was unrepentant. And by the way, it was not even practiced. Listen, it was not even practiced outside the church. So even lost people weren't doing that. Can y'all get an amen to that? All right? So not even lost people were doing it. So he had reached the place and point where Paul had to deal with it directly and quickly, and he did. And so there are times when things happen that need to be dealt with now. In other words, there's not a process of individual to individual, two to three, on an individual. There are times when something happens. Let me give an example. We have a church member who commits murder. I'm not going to go to him and say, hey, do you need to repent of your murder? <laughs> It'd be nice if you do that. No. We're going to church discipline. We're going to remove him from the role of the church. They're not going to be a part of the church. We're not going to do that. Now, does that not mean I don't want to seek restoration later? Sure I do. Restoration is always the key. So I, I do want to seek I want to find out why they did what they did. I want to try to minister to them. But I'm not going to allow them to remain on the role of the church. I have a children's minister who molests 30 kids. I'm not going to go to him one-on-one and say, hey, you've been molesting kids. No, I'm going to deal with that on the spot. Okay? I'm going to deal with that. That's happened in churches, hasn't it, Kendra? Having a church in North Alabama not long ago. So let me just say, there are times when you just got to deal with it. So, so how do you determine? Well, let me just give you three things I think are some driving forces about particular sin. All right? So here they are. Number one, first of all, is it one of those serious sins? Now, I know that we want to categorize sins as individuals sometimes, and God sees sin as sin, period. End of story, right? But there are times where there are more serious sins than there are Regular sins that we would, I would call them. I don't know if there's even such thing called a regular sin. I'm just trying to make a distinction, humanly speaking, not God speaking. You hear me loud and clear, right? Remember, it's God not speaking now. It's me saying this, that there are some serious sins that we as a church need to address and deal with. If we got a member of the church who is constantly gossiping, they should be dealt with. If we got a member of the church that is constantly bringing division in the church, that ought to be dealt with. Why? Because we want a healthy congregation. All right? Now, does that mean you tell, you tell a gossiping story and you let a gossiping story slip out? Does that mean we're going to discipline you? No, because listen, who in here has never gossiped? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's my, that's my point, see? So there's a difference, right? There's a difference between a gossiper, who that's all they do. That's their habitual lifestyle. That's how we can categorize them. We know their name. We know how they act. That needs to stop. Somebody commits the murder. Somebody committing adultery, 
Things that are big. Somebody who's a, listen, somebody who's in the newspaper because they got arrested for something. All right? That is a serious thing. Second of all, listen, going along the heels of that is if it's public. In other words, if there's a public scandalous thing that happens, then you have to address it as a church. You can't just let it slide. I.e., the, uh, the kids getting molested in the church. Or a school teacher doing it. Or, you, you get the point, right? Public. And thirdly, always, listen, listen, unrepentant sin. Unrepentant sin. And that's the whole catch of the thing anyway that Jesus is talking about. If he listens, praise his name. We gained our brother. If he doesn't listen, we treat him as an unbeliever. And you decide what that means in the context of church. I haven't yet come to that conclusion, so I will not preach that matter today of what I think that fully means. Some think it's just, well, I said I wasn't going to tell you. I'm not going to, Dad. All right, so church discipline. I'm going to read my last sentence, and I'm done, I promise. Church discipline is not popular, but it's necessary at times. I can assure you that our church, I'm going to just read it. I can assure you that our church will not practice church discipline in an arrogant self-righteous, and legalistic manner. We will always practice church discipline with these three governing rules. Number one, we will, we will love at all times, and it will be our motivation to confront. Number two, we will always keep before us that the goal of church discipline is to restore the offending party. To restore the offending party. We always will keep that before us. And lastly, we will keep before us that we will always make sure that we are standing in personal purity before we confront. You think, man, nine times? I hope that was nine times. Because that ought to be the governing. That ought to be how we do it. Amen? Church discipline is not an easy subject. It's not an easy thing to enact. It's not what I want to do. But the reality is, God's led us here through the book of Acts. Jesus is building his church, and he wants his church to be holy and pure. It's not supposed to be full of hypocrisy and sin, even though at times we are. And we're not out for a witch hunt. So please, don't, don't, please if you've gotten anything from concerned, understand we're not out for a witch hunt. I, I, I'm not rolling back the time and saying, Oh, well, there's somebody I want to deal with. That's why I'm preaching this sermon today. That, that's not what I'm doing. All right? I am going to say this, though. From today following, don't be surprised if you get confronted or if church discipline happens from today forward. Because guess what? The difference is we're now accountable. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.